Okay. Can you hear me? Unmute yourself. Sorry. Okay. I'm getting used to this. Okay. okay. Yeah, me too. Like, I can't believe we were doing this across two platforms. That's crazy. I know. Um, okay. So as I was saying, I have the very lovely Sarah to join me on our first ever podcast called Disruptive. And we're going to be discussing the, the GCPOA and anti-Semitism in the media. So we have a lot of ground to cover. Sarah, as ever, my lovely, it's a pleasure talking to you. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're like, you know, my uh, fellow disruptor. You got to cause disruption or nobody's going to hear you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, I mean, I know we've been on Clubhouse like loads of time, you know, discussing like the GCPOA, Iran, you know, and, um, you know, what the U.S. is trying to do. So <clears throat> I'd like to hear your thoughts on um, what's going on right now, because from the looks of it, uh, Biden actually... Um, for once, I actually agree with him. Like he, he literally kind of put the whole Iranian deal on pause because he, um, he's refusing to, um, to delist the, you know, the RSGC from the, the terror list. So I'd like to kind of um, hear what you, what you make of it because you're in the US, aren't you? So you have like, I think you have more of a feel yeah. of what's going on over there. Honestly, um, I just heard about it myself recently. I think it was yesterday where I heard that uh the chances of renegotiations were now off the table because of his refusal to remove terrorists from the terror list. So Which is insane, right? It is. It is. Because we've been holding our breath for like several months now and we didn't know which direction it was going to be going. And it was a little scary. I'm not going to lie. I mean, just the thought of removing them from the terror list and unfreezing like, you know, potential assets. And yeah, so I, think it's about, I think we're talking about $50 billion worth of assets, which is insane. You know, the idea that you would you would allow, you know, an organization such as the ISGC to have access to, to that level of money um, for me is insanity. It's like the very definition of insanity. Yeah, I heard it was $90 billion, but I don't know which is correct. But either way... Like, that's enough to do some global damage. Like Exactly. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, a dollar would be too much. But, you know, hey-ho. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't agree more. Like, I know. I'm just glad that at least, you know, Biden's not willing to sink that low. I know. It, it's kind of reassuring. But, look, because I, I was, you know, I was doing some research today because I was trying to gauge, like, you know, public opinion in terms of, the, I mean, their reaction to um, to the death of the deal. And I came across this article in The Intercept by Motaza Hussein that is actually quite shocking, where he basically, so the title goes, Joe Biden deserves the blame for killing the Iran nuclear deal. And the argument that um, Motaza is making is that basically, According to him, Biden, um, you know, fell short in terms of negotiating the deal in the sense that, you know, they felt that it was a necessary evil to stabilize the region and actually bring Iran back to the fold. Um, and, and for some weird reason, they're actually blaming Trump for Biden's, for what he perceived as Biden's failure, saying that one of the main um, roadblocks to the deal was, you know, the, um, the decision that Trump made back in 2018 to actually list the RSGC as a terrorist organization. And and because he was unwilling to delist it, um, basically the, de the deal is now dead in the water. So it's insane to me that, you know, a journalist and an analyst like, you know, of, of his 
you know, of his, I mean, he's, 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 a, he's a quite a famous guy. He's like, he's taken seriously by, you know, by the community and large to have him argue that it's a failure of biblical proportion um, kind of tells you just how insane people are in terms of, uh, of Iran and this idea they have that a nuclear deal is the only way forward. Why would you want to empower, you know, the very people who are actually calling for a genocide openly on every public platform that they can find. I, I sincerely do not understand it. I don't, and it's not about being a Democrat or Republican or anything else in between. It's just why would you want to to assume that Iran could be um, a genuine partner in in brokering peace in the region when they're the one financing terrorism? We know this to be true. So it's not even a political statement. It's just a reality. I, I don't get it. You know, I am personally, I'm starting to see like, a global trend that like, you know, it's all of the countries that somehow are communist or like have a decent communist sized um, population. I notice that they're all aligning. Do you see that too? I do. I, I think like, do you know, we talk a lot about liberalism and I have, I had those discussions with many people where I think that the, I mean, Iran is, is literally using um, you know, all liberalism and this idea that we have that, you know, minority needs to have a, joy, a, a voice, that we have to uh, abide by international law, that we should be tolerant of other people's dif- differences, which is true. I mean, we should, but not, not to the detriment of our national security. Right. And, and this is the problem I have is that I don't I don't understand after everything that has happened since 1979. I don't understand how anyone could be foolish enough to think that Iran is genuinely interested in peace when everything that they do and everything that they say goes goes against that. So, do you know what? If you want to broker peace with someone, you you have to find some some common ground and to abide by the same values, you know, in order to have a true understanding of what that peace is going to look like. But we're talking to people who are you know, imperialistic by nature, who wants to to recreate this, you know, long lost uh, Persian empire, whose religion is uh, anchored around the idea that they have to liberate, you know, the entire world and bring them to abide by, you know, their version of Islam, their faith, um, you know, to the detriment of, you know, communities, personal freedom and, 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 and freedom of religion. Um, and just playing to this narrative, thinking that, you know, we're still going to bring them to have a discussion with us. We're going to, you know, we're going to make them our partners in brokering that peace. Like, how can you, how can, how can peace be brokered with people who are profoundly against the very nature of peace? How can you do that? And, you, you know, even though like a long time ago, I used to, I used to think that Trump, you know, had the wrong end of the stick by cutting Iran off from the international community. Um, I think he was actually he had a really good grasp of what Iran was, as in the nature of the regime. And I don't I don't think we give him enough credit for that because he literally went against, you know, the political narrative at the time. Um, but, you know, he kind of stood his ground. And I don't understand why the Democrats can't see that, you know, his decision was the right decision, maybe not a popular one, but the right decision, not just for the United States of America, but the rest of the world. And I think that because of him, the world is safer. Well, I can tell you, I mean, I I, I think I, I am starting to begin to understand why Democrats are aligning with this. Because the far left, as we all know, is communism. It might not represent the entirety of the Democratic Party, but it's definitely 
um, a part of it that can't be ignored. And communist ideologies are connecting worldwide. And hmm. like, if if we know about the KGB in the 1960s, they were responsible for, um, you know, supporting quote, quote, liberation fronts, which were like, you know, breeding grounds for like communist ideologies. Like, um, that it, makes sense. It, it, it is there. And they, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they were responsible for creating the Palestinian national identity, the quote, quote, need for liberation. As we see once again, like it's a false, um, it's, I feel like it's a false hope. Well, it's not just a, even just a false hope. Do you know this whole idea? What bothers me is that, <clears throat> look, I can get behind the idea of, you know, Palestinian, you know, uh, exercising political self-determination because I think that every, you know, every people um, have an inherent right to, you know, yes, to that claim. Yes, definitely. It's I agree. Now, that said, um, I think that people need to, number one, you know, um, have a clear understanding that defending Palestinian rights um, doesn't go, is is not in it's, line with the destruction of Israel. That's number one. Right, right. It's not like a you don't have to game. choose. You don't have to choose one or the other. You should exactly. Both. Exactly. And and the second thing that I, I need people to just get off their high horses um, and to stop somewhat linking, you know, what Hamas is doing and the, um, you know, the, the basically the terrorist activities with uh, an act of liberation. Because by doing that, you're literally giving uh, credence to a movement that is um, a terrorist movement that is committing war crimes and crimes against humanity. And you can't, regardless of what the claim that you make in terms of what is it that you want to achieve, you can't justify, you know, the wanton murder of innocent civilians in Israel uh, and the call for genocide and say that it's a legitimate uh, cry for liberation. You can't do that. And we have to be, you know, we have to be very clear about the the kind of um, how we would allow, for example, Palestinians to to claim independence. We need to get clear on the definition of how that independence needs to uh, to be manifested on the ground and how it needs to be vocalized. You can't just, you know, start waving a weapon and saying, oh, it's an act of liberation. Because if we do this and we play lip service to what Hamas is calling for, we might as well just, you know, ask ISIS and Al-Qaeda to, to kind of come back and claim a state for themselves because we would be following that logic, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah, that the world yeah. kind of took offense when ISIS showed up on, on the scene and said, oh, we're going to carve ourselves a little Islamic, you know, caliphate and uh, we're going to plonk ourselves in the middle of Syria and Iraq and just call it, you know, uh, Daesh. People had a problem with it. So I don't understand, you know, if you had a problem with, you know, that, that, that terrorist group to show up in the Middle East, they claim territories and to claim sovereignty over those territories. How can you not understand that what Hamas is doing against Israel is exactly the same thing? It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's no like, different whatsoever. It, it, you know, what I notice also happening on the ground is like, I see a lot of blurring of lines, right? Like, you know, Jews were refugees. But now they're being labeled colonizers. Like, do you see how the lines are being blurred between refugees and colonizers? Like, yeah, that's but insane. you know, you know what? I think it's it's. I think I'm holding media responsible for that, and and, and to a greater extent. Uh, again, I'm going back to the whole, you know, um, Iranian influence in that they created so many echo chambers, like you know, forcing, you know, journalists, intellectual analysts, you know. Uh, people from all walks of life um, and, you know, including officials, state officials in the US, in the UK, in France, in Germany, um, 
to to again you know think that defending the the, the Palestinian cause had to equate with anti-Semitism. That you know we see we see mm-hmm. a change in the in the optic of the conflict where Israel is 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 seen as a pariah state that doesn't have true sovereignty that is being held accountable for you know defending its people against the aggressor, uh, mm-hmm. and the aggressor is being portrayed as uh, this grand liberator and this victim of colon- you know of colonialism, which is insane because you know Israel was always always was. Um, and the fact that, you know, the Jews reclaimed their state, emphasis on reclaimed, um, has nothing to do with an act of colonization. If anything, it's an act of liberation. It is. And decolonization. Exactly. Exactly. But again, you know, this is, I remember we were talking about this, about how, you know, history is being rewritten against us. I'm uh, watching that, it unfold in front true. of my eyes. Yeah. And that is through a form of anti-Semitism. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. forever we have to be, um, you know, a, a people without a state, a people without a nation. We have to perpetual be perpetual refugees. Yes, but hated refugees too, because you know how many, how often have have we been told to go home because you know we disturb. You know, the we were in Europe. We live they in. told us to go back to Palestine. We're exactly. in Israel. They're telling us to go back to Europe. Like, I'm sorry, but it's not up to anybody but ourselves to determine where we should be. Exactly. And I mean, everything, um, you know, regardless of how people feel, by the way, about, you know, Jews reclaiming their land, the simple fact that Israel exists today and that it is a sovereign state, um, that is, it's a, it's a secular democracy. Under international law, no one should challenge Israel's ability and right to defend its borders, however it sees fit. Because I don't recall anybody, um, you know, throwing a tantrum over George W. Bush declaring war on terror on the wake of 9-11. If anything, everyone was very much backing his narrative, saying that America had every right and ought to defend itself, you know, uh, violently against the threat of terror. And and they did that. And again, uh, nobody had a problem with it. So wh- why why is it that when Israel, you know, exercised that right, with restraints, by the way, um, you know, suddenly, you know, it becomes the, you know, the boogeyman of history. Yep. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, I'm, I don't see how people are trying to apply the same, like, politics in the West to the politics in the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah, you, can, you make a very good point. I mean, we, how many times do you see, you know, Israel, you know, being called an apartheid state? How often have you read that? And, and people don't even challenge you know, the word apartheid thinking, because it's so shocking to people and they automatically go back to South Africa and they're thinking, oh my God, you know, this is what they're doing. But they, there's no justification for calling uh, Israel an apartheid state. If anything, if anything, um, it's actually the opposite of an apartheid state. If, it, if there is an apartheid, it's actually against the Jewish people because we can't even, we don't even have the right to, you know, to worship on the holiest of sites, you know, at Temple Mount, which is insanity. Because it's actually sitting in the middle of Israel. Oh, there you go. You cut out for a minute. I couldn't hear you. No, oh, sorry. No, I was I was just saying that you know um, when when Israel is be- being accused of being an apartheid state, what people need to realize if if there is a, a state of apartheid is actually against the Jewish people. Yeah, I mean, nine hundred thousand Jews were ethnically cleansed from all Muslim lands, Arab yeah. Muslim lands. Yeah, uh, but not only that, we're not even allowed at Temple Mount. We're not allowed to worship. We can't even drink from the water fountains on the Temple Mount because they're reserved for Arabs. 
Exactly, exactly. But people never speak about this. And the reason being, because all they see from, from the media, and, and I want to hold them accountable, um, are those, you know, the, those scenes that they edit so very much, you know, showing the IDF uh, intervening in the mosque and trying to, uh, you know, to stop the violence that, you know, the, the likes of Hamas is propagating. Not understanding that if you were to run the video just a little bit more, you would see how, um, you know, just a week ago, they literally stormed the mosque, which is supposed to be one of the holiest sites for Islam, you know, shoes on, playing football, having, you know, um, you know, blowing stuff up because they were using, you know, um, uh, what you call it? Uh, and what it's, they were doing? It's, they, were, it's, they were like burning things in the mosque. They were playing football. They were doing whatever. I know. Oh, yeah. They were shooting fireworks. There you go. Yeah. Fireworks. So they were desecrating the, you know, their site, um, uh, basically also attacking, you know, um, you know, Jewish people that were just passing by, minding their own business. Um, so the IDF had to intervene. And then all you saw from the videos in the commentary was that, you know, the IDF is intervening against, against you know, peaceful Palestinians. And I'm like, excuse me, on the ground, you can see, and I, and I posted the picture, um, you could see very clearly a bunch of you know, Palestinians hand tied with their shoes on. So that tells you that those people literally walked into their mosque, complete disregard, you know, to, uh, to where they were. Um, and couldn't care less about the, you know, that supposedly holy site. All they wanted to do was to create a situation that would provoke an idea of intervention to then cry victim, not telling you that, you know, while they were there, they were literally targeting civilians. Yep. But no, and other they, I, reason I, than they were, they were, they were Jewish. I'm pretty sure they're trying to stir up a war right now between uh, Israel. Of and course Hamas. they are. Yeah, but they, they do this every year. Do you know the other thing that I found profoundly shocking was? Um, Today, there was this video um, circulating on Instagram with, I don't know, thousands of like Hamas supporters literally saying, um, you know, that, you know, warning the Jews that the army of Mohammed was was coming back, um, you know, uh, was, khaybar, 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 yeah, 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 in reference to a genocide that was committing in, in early Islamic history. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they feel so entitled to do something like this, knowing that the rest of the world will literally remain silent. It's not only silent, but hearing. I know, but people, for some reason, in in the collective narrative, it's not clicking that, you know, this call for genocide is not just against Jews. It's starting with us, but it's not going to stop that. It never ends with us. Exactly. And you'd like to think that Nazi Germany served as a cautionary tale of what happens when you allow, you know, fascism to take hold, because even though like 6 million Jews died, you know, under Nazi Germany, but they were not the only one, you know. Yeah, there are 5 million others. Exactly, exactly. So usually in history, it goes like this. It starts with us, but it never stops with us. You know, there's always the next group, you know, that goes because, again, people feel empowered and entitled and they go, oh, we massacred a few Jews. Let's just add to the list and see how far we can push it. Yeah, anybody that disagrees with us must be a Jew. They're working against us. Or a Jewish sympathizer, or a communist, or whatever, a gypsy, or whatever it is at the time that, you know, is goes against the grain. And again, the point I'm trying to make is that I would like people to wake up and understand that by defending Israel's right to defend itself, they're actually defending their own rights for their own government to actually act against terrorism. A hundred thousand percent. And you know what? There's been global reports that showing that um, anti-Semitism is a well experts are considering using anti-semitism as a diagnostic factor 
in determining um, which groups are extreme radicals. That's interesting. That's yeah. very interesting. It's it's almost it a gauge a gauge for like how fascist the world has become, right? Exactly. That's why anti-Semitism is a global phenomena because there's fascism on the rise right yeah. now as we speak worldwide. Like it's a battle between I personally feel like there's a battle going on. It's an ideological warfare, communism, Nazism, Islamic extremism, like there's a mixture of these scary ideologies and people are forgetting that what matters is yeah. our common values. Yeah, I agree. Do you know, I was watching today this very interesting documentary um, about the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, and one of the commentators actually made a really good point, and I never, I never looked at it this way, saying that, you know, the, the, the birth of the, the whole ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, came about in the 1920s, right around the time where you had, you know, communism started to, to, to rise, you had, uh, you know, Nazi Germany, you know, the, the, those, those fascist ideologies were, were taking shape, right? And for whatever reason, um, we addressed Nazism, we addressed communism, but we never addressed, uh, you, know, polit um, you know, political Islamism. It, it kind of, for, for whatever reason, it kind of fell off. You know, uh, we, we failed to recognize the sign of fascism because, again, they were using religion to hide, to hide behind. Um, and it became politically incorrect to criticize, you know, that ideology because you were you then being accused of being an Islamophobe. Um, and what we don't understand is that our fight today and ultimately Israel's fight uh, is against fascism. But that fascism will not stop at Israel. So even though Israel finds itself in the front line of that war, you know, I want people to get that should Israel fail and it won't fail, but should it fail, you know, this kind of fascism will crash against their borders. And because they allowed the narrative to, to be rationalized within their own, you know, um, media and, and even as part of the political discourse, they are in grave danger of having, you know, people with that kind of ideology to, to literally hijack their, their democracies. And this is a real threat. You know, just like Nazi Germany used the democratic process to take power. We stand mm -hmm. the risk of allowing yet another fascist ideology to actually rise into power by using the, the, the tools of democracy. And, you know, it's funny because in Nazi Germany, it was uh, these fascists that hijacked the socialist movement. Right. And that's exactly. kind of similar to what we're seeing today. Like, you know, it's all happening in the name of, quote, quote, social justice. But at the yeah. bottom line, there's just yeah. a lot of censorship and omission of facts and elevation i feel like okay the media is just distorting it to paint this picture that we're the aggressors that and that everybody else is the victims um and they're leaving out oh, there's just they're admitting so much right like the jewish community worldwide is facing a lot of violence let's be honest how much does mainstream media hear about this Barely at all. About it. It's not the thing is it's not popular. You know, we live in a we live in a in an era of like clickbait. So they, they always they distort reality just to sell, you know, to sell papers. Yeah, they actually you know, it's funny because they actually used AI technology um to determine which buzzwords evoke the most emotions from people so that they could use them in news headlines yeah. so that they could get the most clicks. And yeah, but that, that's not news. that's not that's not selling truth. You know, it's it's, it's selling not. entertainment. It's just radicalizing people. 
Exactly, because they have a distorted, you know, vision of reality. Which is what I meant earlier when I said things are being blurred. Like, you know, like what's happening in Israel, like people are saying that Israel is committing a genocide against the Palestinians. And uh, all do this. you know that word, that word genocide? Do you know, I hate this because I feel they, they're using the word genocide against to, to you know, to, to provoke emotions and a reaction. That's exactly um, what I mean. But I want to, I want to understand that. Like, where is the genocide? And, and I get it. I get it. They see images of, you know, women and children, you know, uh, being the victim of, uh, you know, of, of violence. I get that. We see it. It's like, we can't, we can't deny that that happens. You know, in a war, you always have casualties, but you can't use the word genocide. And, and on the, without omitting to say that if you look at the demographic, at the demographic of, of, um, you know, the, the, the Palestinian, um, population, population. it's on the rise. Okay. Now, and it's, look, it's increased were, over 10 times since 1948. Exactly. Now, if you look, if you look at the demographic of the Jewish population in Germany, there's a, there's a profound dip in the population, you know, in, in, in between 1930 and 1940. And we, we know why, because there was a genocide being committed against the Jewish people, right? Now, if, if you, if you look at the demographic of the Palestinian, it's going up, like you said. So explain to me, where does the word genocide fit? It doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. And that's Again, the thing. It's, it's, and a, it's, it's a misappropriation of the word that really, really I, it pisses me off because I'm thinking many people, and not just the Jewish people, have suffered of, of genocide across history. And the simple fact that you're using that you you're using that word, um, you know, to to describe a situation that is not, you know, a genocide, you're belittling the suffering of millions exactly. of people. Exactly. You're cheapening the effects on of actual genocides, basically. Exactly. And then people go around and they'd use the word genocide and Holocaust, you know, willy-nilly, thinking that, oh, it's it's a cool word to use. I'm going to... They start thinking you know, everything's a genocide. People. Yeah. And it's, I, th- I think it's not only unfair, but, you know, to some degree, we need to hold the media accountable for using those words. You can't just throw words and, and, and just, like, you know, run away with it without being held accountable. And you, There's something profoundly wrong with I that. I feel like the media, what the media is doing is so dirty, right? Like, I see them basically cutting out the context in which things happen, right? So, you know, you go to Palestinian media and you see, oh, 28-year-old Palestinian man murdered by Israeli forces or murdered by occupation forces. You don't see the fact that when you go to the Israeli media or the Jewish media, you see the bigger picture, right? You see the videos that aren't just him lying on the ground with police surrounding him, but you're seeing him stabbing Jews or Israeli civilians first and then coming at police with a knife in a violent manner before he ends up on the ground shot. You don't yeah, see that. Show you. you see it but taken you know out of context always. I'm glad that you mentioned that because, you know, the difference is if, if people actually were, were, you know, um, were honest enough and they bothered to actually check in, in a lot of, um, you know, Jewish media, people actually put the film, you know, they have the full video. There's no edit, there's no cutting, there's no nothing. So they put the whole video and you can see clearly like there's no need for a commentary. You know, they put the video out there for people to see. So the informations are out there. It's just that the, that people can't even be asked to actually check properly. So they go to the Guardian or the BBC, whatever, um, you know, and they say like, oh, this is what happened. No, no, no. Can you please go to the source and actually bother to watch like five minutes before and five minutes after to actually understand the context of that video? Because, exactly. you know, I could do, I could take any video in the world 
and just cut it in a way that's going to fit a certain narrative. I'm not telling the truth. It's called it's propaganda. Like, yeah. It's similar to walking in on a fist fight and pointing to one and saying, you're the aggressor. Like, how do you know who was? You just came in. <laughs> exactly. Do you know that there's, there's one particular thing that really annoyed me? Um, there was an article in, uh, it was in The Guardian, just less than a week ago, um, about a little girl who uh, died from, you know, health complication. She had a, she had a, heart, a, a heart condition. Mm-hmm. She was I in Gaza. And, you know, because the, you know, the Israel had closed, you know, um, access to Gaza in the sense that, you know, Palestinian could not enter Israel. For yeah, because reason. they were they were inciting violence, right? Exactly. So that little girl, you know, passed away. And it, and it's a tragedy for her family. And, and I truly, truly feel for their pain. Now, the mm. article was basically saying, was accusing Israel to um, to commit an act of murder by not allowing that little girl to, to access, um, you know, uh, medical care and to basically to be helped because she was due to get an operation and she couldn't have it. Um, because of the violence and the fact that Israel had to close, you know, to close all access. Now, what they don't tell you in this article, which is for me quite blatant, is the simple fact that, you know, Israel is actually allowing Palestinians to have access to free healthcare. Now, Israel doesn't have to. And, and I don't recall any other country allowing literally the very people who want to see them dead, you know, into their hospitals. I don't recall, for example, the United States of America or France or the UK, for that matter, allowing ISIS militants into its hospitals, you know, to to give them assistance when they needed it. Now, we know for a fact that in Israel, this is something that happens every single day, where sometimes you have very well-known members of Hamas, you know, who, for whatever reason, you know, are in need of care, medical care, who are allowed into Israeli hospitals to receive that care and then send home knowing that, you know, they could then carry on their terrorist activities. But because Israel put the emphasis on saving lives, you know, they feel that they have a duty of care towards even their enemies. Why is it that we don't give the full picture? And I feel it was so unfair to blame Israel, you know, for the closure of Gaza uh, without mentioning the fact that that closure was made necessary by the very violence that was coming out of Gaza. And we're forgetting that Hamas was literally calling for a global genocide against the Jewish people, not just in Israel, but globally. Um, yep. And that in order to basically prevent any spill out of violence, Israel felt that it was necessary to close access to its territory. And it's insane to me because if we had such a threat against, say, New York or Washington, do you know how quickly the war would go up? Without any care for and, you know people's medical needs or you know um, you know whatever it may be, people would be completely heartless. And the but the thing is, like you can't. It's not even. Sorry, I got a call. It's not even comparable to the U.S. because the U.S. has friendly neighbors. Like Canada's not trying to kill us. Mexico's not trying to kill oh, us. Oh no, I don't like, think that Canada will ever try to kill anybody. <laughs> no, exactly. So. Like, I don't feel like when, you know, when I'm not saying you, I'm saying in general, I've heard this several times, like, well, not hearing this several times, but the comparisons being made between Israel and things that are happening in the U.S., it's not comparable because in the U.S., we don't have hostile, like, neighbors. Exactly. Israel does on all of its borders. 
Exactly. But if you did, I, I really don't see a situation where let's just assume that you had an army of jihadists at, at you know, at the borders of with Mexico, for example. I don't think that, you know, even the Biden administration would actually advocate, you know, for allowing, you know, jihadists to come into the country, you know, to receive medical care. I really don't see that scenario happening ever. And yet, and yet the world is asking of Israel to open up its borders to all terrorists and to say, you know, it's okay, we're going to help you, we're going to cure you, we're going to give you whatever it is that you need, uh, and then you can go back and plot, you know, uh, further against our people. It's insanity. Why do we hold Israel, you know, accountable for the very situation that it hasn't, it, it didn't create? Exactly. And you know what? Um, back to what you were saying about the media also, like, I feel like it's an over-policing of Jews and Israel. Do you see That's that? A point. You know, like, you know how, like, oftentimes ghettos will be over-policed and, mm -hmm. like, suburbs will be under-policed? Well, mm -hmm. I feel like that's what's happening. Like, Jews in Israel are being over-policed and Palestinians, I shouldn't say Palestinians, terrorists in general, are being under-policed. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, the, the problem that, that, that I have as well is that because of organizations such as Hamas and Hezbollah and all, all the other iterations of, te of terror, um, the voices of Palestinians who do want peace, who do want to live, you know, freely and, and actually have a future is being lost completely, completely. Like nobody hears from them. And the worst part is like they're being silenced by, you know, the very organization claiming to want to liberate them. Because we all know, for example, like take Gaza. Um, do you know whenever you know whenever Israel goes and and you know wants to um, you know to take down you know several terrorists, what they usually do the idea goes and warn people that we we're gonna we're gonna target this area. Please leave because they do not want civilian casualties, right? And we all know that Hamas actually forces people to stay put, hoping that when Israel hits, there will be casualties, so they can claim again victimhood. So they're using their own people as meat for the cannons. But no one ever hold them accountable. I mean, even the son of the founder of Hamas, Masab Hassan Yusuf, has come forward exposing that the Hamas is doing these things. They're literally intentionally using children as human shields, trying, mm -hmm. trying to get them killed. And I've seen videos of this where parents are literally pushing their children towards IDF soldiers assuming that the IDF is going to violently attack, and they don't, of course, because mm -hmm. we're not baby killers, like they keep saying since ancient Christian Europe. Um, but you know, this, this, this accusation, the assumption that, that, you know, that they make that, you know, the Jewish people would be so brutal in their response against terror that they would be willing to sacrifice children. You know, the, the very idea of it is so anti-Semitic and it's something that we have heard so much throughout history that it's sickening that, you know, 21st century, 2022, you know, the same narrative holds. It just, it sickens me when we have proven time and time again that immense efforts are being spent to try to protect life. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Like, they, they, they're doing this get sympathy from the world so that they can get humanitarian aid and donations. And the fucked up part is the world does it thinking that they're doing good. Do you think that money actually reaches them? Of course it doesn't. 
no. Course, you know, there's this, um, there's this great NGO called the NGO Monitor. I've, I've talked about it several times. I love time. NGO Monitor. Yeah. And they literally, like, they, their job is to basically map out, you know, all the funding that is um, flooding, you know, to, uh, to the Palestinian coast um, and, and actually demonstrating that I'm going to, I'm going to be kind and say 90% of the, of this money is actually not going towards, um, you know, making Palestinian lives better. It's not going towards humanitarian aid at all. Um, it's being rerouted to fund, you know, um, terrorist war efforts against Israel. Yeah. And, 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 you know, um, they also came out with a, uh, a rebuttal of Amnesty's apartheid report. And in it, they uncovered 287 flaws where there were including 102 errors, 97 misrepresentations, 29 omissions, 24 double standards, and 35 dead citations. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. But again, whenever Amnesty International publishes something, people think it's like holy bread. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There's a, you know... There's a corruption of human rights organizations, too. And I mean, a hundred percent. But you know what I think it is? Again, I'm going back to, you know, to Iran and the fact that Iran has been so clever at architecting, you know, echo chambers and polluting the public discourse when it comes to Palestine and, yes. and, and basically fighting. You know, the, the, um, there's a term that's been coined, um, you know, it's called lawfare, when you're basically um, holding a country accountable you know, for the terror that another one is committing and, and twisting the narrative to such a point that you, you're blaming the victim, you know, um, for the crime of another. And, you know, it's interesting because if you know, if you look at manipulation techniques used by cluster B personalities like psychopaths, sociopaths, narcissists, you'll see that the same exact manipulation tactics are being applied to the Jewish community. Not just Israel, but the Jewish community at large, even yeah, in the being, diaspora. We're being gaslighted. We're being gaslighted. We're being gaslighted. Yeah. There's smear campaigns. There's reactive abuse, which is where you you bully and bully and bully and bully somebody until they finally react. And then you only capture their reaction and you paint them as the aggressor or the abuser because of their reaction based on the hostile atmosphere you've created. That's so interesting. Do you know, yeah. I don't think I don't think that anyone has ever like talked about the psychology of the conflict. It is it's completely a cluster B like thought process. Like it's it's I feel like it's groups of cluster B personalities, narcissists, sociopaths, and psychopaths. And you know and what? So That's I, what we I, see. I, I we see saying, lots of violence. <laughs> are you saying that the way out of the conflict would be to like uh, you know to offer like psychiatric help <laughs> to the <laughs> to the Iranian regime? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm no expert, but you know, like I don't think there's much help. I for... think we need an exorcism, if I'm honest. <laughs> I think like we need to like we need to like you know jump over the psychiatric help and just go straight to exorcism. You know, I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> no, no, I think we, I think we need to call for a global effort and just ask people like you you need to get your prayer book out and just let's do something about this situation because it's not it's not fun anymore. It's not helping anybody. It's hurting everybody. I know. And, it's just and like, if, people, if people actually cared about Palestinians, why do they not mention anything about the way they're treated in Syria or Lebanon or Jordan? Exactly. Under much it, worse but conditions. You know, 
exactly because look the, you know the number of times that people omit to 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 talk about you know um how Palestinians are being treated by their so-called arab neighbors um the way that you know uh, in syria i think um not in jordan i think it's in jordan there's over 1 million refugees if i'm not wrong um and they have, they've been there for several generations uh and and they do not have access you know to um they, they cannot be naturalized under the law so that means that it doesn't matter you know how long they stay in jordan or even syria or lebanon for that matter they're always going to have you know the status of refugees which is by the way against the um, the united nation charter because you know a, a country um receiving refugees has to give those refugees the opportunity to gain nationality which which basically they're doing in France in in Germany and everywhere else you know across the west um but those same rights are not actually uh, offered to Palestinians in in the very land that claim to to want to um you know give them freedom which is insane because yeah. if they love them so much why don't you why don't you you know at least give them their rights you know why why do you keep treating them you know as um you know as pariah within your society I mean they you know it, it, they they barely can feed themselves because they don't have access you know to um for example to to uh you know to to the economy they can't they can't you know they I don't I don't even know if they have the right to work in Jordan. Yeah, uh I think they were barely recently given the right to do so. Mm. So they're like, maintaining them in a state of complete dependency. um not giving them you know their due rights and and you know perpetuating this um you know this this feeling of you know not belonging which is horrible i mean i know we know exactly we know better I was, than anyone I was else what that does to people thing. yeah but I, i don't i you know i feel like the the palestinians have been um, are being held ransom by political agendas that have no interest in defending their interests not really 100% even hamas in particular hamas i mean hamas is Leaderships are just pointing fingers at. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that Hamas doesn't want to solve anything. They just like they're just screaming genocide. Yeah, exactly. Like they've had the chance how many times to have their own state, and yeah, but they don't want to. They it. don't. They don't want a state because see, this is the other thing too. Um, I I genuinely believe that they're not interested in any solution other than the eradication of the Jewish people from the face of the earth. um because should they let's just assume in theory that you know the Jews decide to pack up and go okay and the secret point just have have at it um what would hamas do because they they only the the only agenda that they have like their their whole narrative the ideology that they espoused is is centered around genocide there's no political agenda other than that so what Agreed. would they do and who would they blame you know for um for all the problems that ultimately that people would be facing because they're not interested in in helping or solving anything. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah, I mean, but we're not we're not actually asking them like let's just say tomorrow morning you have your state what are you going to do? A big fat nothing. Because you you are oppressing your own people. You know the yep. reason why for example Palestinians don't have access to potable water is not Israel's fault is because you know how many times have they been offered you know money to actually build a desalination plant or to build pipelines or to do whatever they don't they take that money they take that money and they go buy tanks or they go build bombs they're not interested in solving that people's problem but then they turn around and say it's Israel yeah they they here they point fingers at us and say that's your reason for your continued suffering meanwhile they're intentionally keeping them suffering so that they can be used as political weapons 
and exactly. so that they can be exploited. Exactly. I mean, you know, even um, when they, do, do you know, like, I mean, I'm sure you remembered, you know, early during the pandemic, um, I remember, you know, people in, 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 you know, in Gaza screaming blue murder because they were saying, oh, my God, you know, Israel is not giving us vaccine. You know, we don't have access to medication, blah, 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 blah. Not realizing that, by the way, um, you know, the, the whole argument that, you know, Israel is the oppressor, the colonizer doesn't hold. If you're turning towards your colonizer and your oppressor for help, there's something wrong with you. Um, they were just, you know, calling for Israel to give them the vaccine, which they did, by the way. Um, but then Hamas decided to not give it to its people. Because it was so much easier to turn around and say, well, you're dying because Israel doesn't, you know, is, is holding humanitarian aid, which wasn't true. But they decided to do that, to just, again, to, to inflict suffering onto their people when it wasn't needed. It wasn't necessary, but they did so anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Where is the public outcry? Nobody talks about that. I mean, do you know the number of human rights violations that Hamas is committing on a daily basis against Palestinians is insane. So Amnesty International, in my mind, should be worried about that rather than to, you know, to accuse Israel of being an apartheid state. And, you know, that's, in, that's interesting you brought that up because also on the note of human rights, I mean, few people even know that Muslim countries that implement Sharia law have a whole different set of standards of human rights that they're held that's accountable true. to at the United Nations. Yeah. The Cairo Declaration of Human Rights. And if you look it over... There are many places where there's open loopholes for murder, for torture, for dismemberment, for lots of things. I mean, it's yes, but they're arguing, they're arguing, they're arguing religion. So, you know, yeah. for, I mean, look, how, how look, people used to gasp, you know, when, you know, the Taliban was uh, publishing videos of uh, public executions, you know, cutting off, cutting off hands, uh, you know, beheading people. Um, stoning women on the basis that apparently they committed adultery. Um, and, you know, people are horrified. But I'm thinking, well, you know, those are the people you're empowering. You know, they, 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 get, it from, they, they get it from somewhere. They, this doesn't exist in a vacuum. Their book is advocating that kind of violence. Exactly. So how can you have a conversation, you know, with people, you know, demanding to have their rights when their definition of human rights is not even on par with ours? How can you do that? You know, it's interesting because even Arab news sources are starting to point this out. Like they're saying like things like the Muslim Brotherhood is using woke Europeans to um, carry out their agenda, basically, even though their their values are antithetical to each other. Like people on the left and these Islamists who are oppressors in their homelands, which is literally what they're saying, too, in these news articles. Um they're the oppressors back in their homeland and they're being supported here. I know. But, you know, like, I always say, like, you know, the left in America went so left and now they, they're right. <laughs> That's the problem. It's true. It's where the horse... This is where the horseshoe theory is important to describe the scenario of what's going on. Yeah. The far but, I mean, I, I, the think, far right. I think America, if I'm honest, I think that America has been breached by, you know, Iran's propaganda. In, in the way that they're formulating their ideas. And, and they don't even realize it. That's the problem. And, and the whole, you know, this whole JCPOA and the fact that people were supporting it, I'm really glad that it kind of like, you know, felt dead, um, is, is, uh, is a reflection of that. And I'm just waiting for people to just wake up. Just ha- have a really good hard look at what is going on, what you're preaching. You know, I just, 
I find it insane that people in the West can sit from the safety and comfort of their own homes, drinking Starbucks, and sitting there having choosing a team as if it's a, a sports game, like it's a it's a spectacle to them. Like, oh, I'm cheering for this team. Like, that's not what it is. It's not a football game. People's lives are on the line. Like, yeah, we're because at- it's, it's happening. It's happening over there. Do you know, I think that people have this idea of the Middle East that it's so it's so removed from their own reality that they it's almost like you know Camelot that it's not a real place. Um, they they don't get it. It's just that whatever happens in the Middle East will ultimately happen everywhere else because it's a battle of ideology. Exactly, and people are forgetting like common values. They're completely abandoning their values in favor of these ideologies. Like, yeah, it's I think insane. They, I think like yeah, maybe they need to stop drinking Starbucks and 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 you know going on Instagram and they should like you know just research a bit more and, and hold themselves accountable for what it is that they believe and and actually make sure that they believe that what they believe you know to be true is actually true and not just like something that was made up. And you know, I think I mean at the end of the day, yes, yes, a hundred percent. And I don't necessarily hold them 100% responsible. I do hold them accountable to their own actions and living out their values that they claim to have. But <clears throat> I think, yep. I think you, can't say, you can't say you don't know. I mean, we are at the age of social media. I mean, we have access it's to true. so much resources. You know, it's too easy for people to say, well, I didn't know. Well, you should know. You should know because the second you voice an opinion, um, but you know you, you should make sure that what you're saying is actually true. Something I did notice though is that I noticed that there are some articles and some results that pop up um, over other ones. Some's being elevated, some's being, you know, oh, suppressed. Yeah. Well, that's that's thank you Google, like you know the woke machine. Search engines are equally held responsible for this. A hundred percent. But again, we know, you know, this is the other thing, too, is that I think that we, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, how democracy have been hijacked. I think it's uh, it, it has to do with the corporatism where, you know, we, we're being led by corporations and, yes. corpor- and corporations agenda as opposed to you know, state representative. They're mm-hmm. not required to guarantee our uh, in- our constitutional rights. Exactly. Yeah, because they're not they're not they're not a state institution. So they're not being held accountable for what it is that they do. And they should, given the influence that they have over the public discourse. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. But again, we're having the wrong conversations. I think if society really wanted to weed out extremism and corruption, they should start with the education system. I mean, we've been under corrupt leaders worldwide for thousands of years. We know the same tactics being played every time it happens. If we wanted to put an end to it, we could. If we just started teaching how politics, how propaganda, how all of this goes down, how ideological warfares lead to like world wars, like we could be teaching about this. Instead, we're teaching, I don't know, communist indoctrination. Honestly, like I used to be a leftist and I'm telling you this, like I literally been to these classes. I've taken these classes myself when I was a student mm-hmm. that literally were preaching communist ideologies. I'm sorry, it's true. It's true. How and my values hold the same. Though. My values yeah. hold still. I just feel like the left has abandoned them. 
That's true. That's true. Do you know the thing that always like kind of amazes me is that the fact that we had someone like Trump to kind of uh, force us to take a good hard look. And people may, may think whatever they want of him. And I used to be, you know, I used to think he was a joke. Um, until I did I, too. You know, yeah. And, and I was very, I was super critical of Trump initially. And then, I, you know, I, I, saw, I saw the things that, you know, he did when he got to the White House. And even though, like, I didn't like the, the language that he was using, because he's not a great communicator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I realized that he was actually bang on. You know, maybe not like the delivery was wrong. And, you know, he wasn't always like the... Um, the most polished of politicians because he's not a politician. Um, but, you know, everything that he managed to do during his presidency was actually necessary and so and had so much value. And we could see the result today. I mean, he literally put a hold, you know, uh, on Iran's agenda, nuclear agenda. So he basically bought us a good four years, you know, of of peace, um, preventing Iran to 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 have access to nuclear weapons. And it would have blown up the entire situation. So I think we owe him a massive thank you. Um, and and you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that he put in place, you know, a system that prevents Biden from actually carrying out, you know, his agenda of reviving the GCPOA. I'm really glad that the oh. RSGC was, you know, was I mean, slapped. global security would have been completely under threat. I know. I know, but people don't get it. Like, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, it's not about making peace with Iran. It's like, you know, do you really want to have a regime such as that of Iran, um, you know, to re-enter the fold of the international community? The answer must be no. A resounding no. Exactly. Um, so, look, we have about two minutes um, left, you know, on the podcast. So do you, do you have any kind of like final thought that you want to share with our beautiful audience? Um. Well, there was something. I forgot what it was. Oh, man. I know it was something we planned to discuss in another episode, but. Oh, you could give a little tester so that, you know, people will like say, hey, we want to listen to those girls again. <laughs> um, I have to hold on. Let me pull up my notes because I had taken notes about this. How night. nice. How ni- you know, do you know how lovely it is to actually have a conversation without trolls coming in and like interrupting us? It's just like, oh, it's like man. a holiday. It's refresh. I mean, we didn't get one death threat during this conversation. <laughs> I know how amazing. Cause usually we have like, either we have like guys from Sipa like playing their weird national anthem, you know, <laughs> or like know. trolls like calling for a genocide. So it's just like, I'm thinking oh. like what happened? I can actually hold a conversation with a friend, you know, without being interrupted by crazies. I know it's so nice. And you can, you can talk without having to forget what you're saying. I mean, honestly, I did a couple of times, but it would have been or justify, <laughs> or justify your existence, you know, because, uh, you know, the, our existence is always called into question. Like somewhat us breathing is an offense. It really is. It really is. It triggers people that we even exist. I know. And <laughs> the audacity of us being women. I know. And having an opinion. I, uh, yeah, I know. I know, which is why, you know, I love my handle Opinionholic because I know I, I just, I'm a trigger <laughs> for many people. I remember what I wanted to say. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, two things is that the way Israel's being held to double standards um, with so-called human rights violations when the same people calling out those human rights violations have a different set of standards it's 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 insane it's insane but also i wanted to bring up the the uh 
in Iran. Oh God, I forgot again. It was something about uh oh oh how hi the IRGC is uh going to be heading the Commission on Women's Rights at the UN. That yeah, no, that's 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 literally a joke. I mean, I, I don't know, like I feel like I've entered like an alternative reality. We're in the age where human rights are now a political tool and are being weaponized to push no, political but it's agendas. Just like, I mean, to your point is like if you were asking Hitler to like, you know, to chair over like a commission uh looking into uh you know religious freedom, for example, like are we are we having like seriously? Or racial or why justice. Don't we, why don't we ask Saddam Hussein, you know, to lead, uh, you know, the 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 nuclear watchdog? Like, why don't we do that? <laughs> I swear, it makes you know asking no him, sense. Saddam, what do you feel about weapons of mass destruction? Like, are you in or out? <laughs> Seriously. But at the end of the day, people don't care if people are being oppressed if they get what they want. Yeah, but this is why we're here to disrupt the conversation, like the you know the global narrative. Amen. I love Amen to that. <laughs> on that on that <laughs> note, my lovely, I'm just gonna we're gonna leave it here for today and like we we'll be back with more discussions. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for listening. Thanks for coming.